All right, let's go ahead and open with prayer as we get ready for the word. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and care for us and that you teach us from your word. We thank you that you give us the power to get by things and that you love us so much. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, today we're going to start in John chapter 13. Verses 1 through 17, there's going to be a long section I want to read, and we'll talk about it. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that it was hour was come, that he should depart out of the world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Now supper being ended, the devil having put, now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. He raised up from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel, whereupon he was girded. And then came he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus said, what I, what I do you know not now, but you shall know hereafter. Peter said unto him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, If I wash you not, you have no part in me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but, my, but also my hands and my, and my head. And Jesus said unto him, He that is washed needs not save to wash his feet, but is clean even every whit. And you are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore. So he said, You are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and his feet and was set down, he said unto him, Know you what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for, I, for so I am. But if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you are also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily I say unto you, The servant is no greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that, it, that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Just want to stop there. We're looking at this idea of Jesus washing their feet. I know our churches out there that have made a great big ministry out of washing each other's feet. I'm not going to go there because I don't believe in it. Okay, I believe that Jesus' example is a lot bigger than what these churches try to make it out to be. You know, when Jesus was washing the feet, you know, we, we wonder about this because it's not a big deal in our in our mindset. Okay. Washing feet, what was it about? Well, let's give you an example. You're hosting a party, and it's cold out there, and people come in with their jackets on. What is one of the first thing a good hostess or host or hostess will do? May I take your jacket? Okay. Otherwise, the per per person is wearing the jacket for the whole event or hanging it on a chair or you know, holding on to it. It's just being a good host to take their jacket from them. This is pretty much what foot washing was back in Jesus' day. You were walking around on their really wonderful paved roads. No, they had dirt roads <laughs> with lots of rocks, and you wore sandals. You came inside from, from the exterior, and your feet were dirty. And if you were going to go for a party, and your feet were dirty, and you sat on the floor with your feet near somebody else, you probably appreciated having the people's feet washed. Okay, and I'm just trying to get you a historical scene on what is going on with foot washing. This was not something that was 
bizarre in their day. It was a good host. They would come and say, let me wash your feet. You know, we'll make you comfortable. We'll get your feet cleaned. It'll be good for all the people that are sitting with you. And so this is not something that is abnormal. It was very normal. It was being a good host. And Jesus is going to do this job. Now, there are parts about this that it's amazing that Jesus did. Okay, so I want to look at the significance of this, and I want to look at the book of Luke for a moment and show you a bad host. <laughs> as soon as I find Luke. <laughs> In Luke chapter 7, we find that Jesus goes to the house of Simon the, the leper, which means he was a healed individual. Okay, otherwise he wouldn't have been at his house. And along comes a woman who washes Jesus' feet with tears and pours perfume on it. And, you know, I'm not going to read the whole story because it's, again, 11, 12. You all probably have heard this story. You know, this woman comes and she washes his feet with his tears because she's so thankful for what he's done for her. And most people believe it was Mary Magdalene, the prostitute that had done this. And, and she's wiping his hair and, and everybody's made me upset. The, the Simon's like, who is this person in my house, you know, washing this, this man's feet, and if he really knew who this woman was, he'd have nothing to do with her. Uh, the disciples, specifically Judas Iscariot, are saying, why did they waste so much money on this perfume? It could have gone to pay, you know, help the poor. And uh, we're told uh, in one of the Gospels that he said that because he had the purse and he was stealing from the, from the purse from the disciples. So he's like, I could have had this money that would have been a lot of value. But I want to look at verse 44 particularly. And he, Jesus, turned to the woman and said unto Simon, See you this woman, I entered in your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hair of her hairs. You gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I have come in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil you did not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto her, her sins which were many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. So we look at this, and Jesus told Simon, you didn't even do the bare necessities. <laughs> you know, and you notice that Jesus said, you didn't even give me water. You didn't wash my feet, but you also didn't even give me water to wash my feet. Okay, this was an expected you know, good host uh, activity. You helped them get their feet taken care of. You would, you know, give them the anointing, you know, all these different things. And Jesus was telling them, you didn't do the bare minimum, and she's come in and helped. Jesus at the Passover is going to wash the disciples' feet. He's going to play host. Now, the second side of this is, usually the person who washed the people's feet was the most incompetent servant you had in your house. <laughs> okay? It was the lowest position because you couldn't do you couldn't really do it wrong you're just pouring water on their feet and wiping them down so there's really nothing you can do wrong at that position so it was given to the lowest servant the lowest so when we picture this jesus did the most menial task out there and you would think you know from the world's point of view jesus would have gone in and would have picked somebody like john you're the youngest go over there and wash everybody's feet and be a good, you know, you know, you'd take care of that job, or you know, whichever, you know, whoever he would have considered the the lowest of his people. The disciples are going to be amazed by this. Jesus, the leader, 
doing the menial task. Now, one of the things I have found over my years of walking around and, and helping with people is there are lots of people who want to have titles. Now, give, give me a title so I can be responsible for something. And you know, uh, in the Christian world, titles should not be something we're pursuing. We give titles to people, and we we give people the title of pastor, deacon, teacher, elder. You know, all kinds of titles. But usually, hopefully, they've they've shown that they were that before they got it. When I was working in business, I used to promote people, and I promoted people that I saw leadership in before they got the title. Now, the sad thing was, as soon as you gave them a title, they became Hitler for a couple days and a couple weeks, but you, know, you have to take them aside and say, no, I gave you the promotion because you were you know, a leader, not because you, know, you needed a title. If, and you know, if you're depending on having a title to do something, you really don't have that position. If you're going, are you going to obey me because I'm the manager or the teacher, or are you going to listen to me because I'm the teacher or the pastor, you really don't have the title in, in the long run because you don't have that respect that people give you. you know, and this is something that is very important. Jesus could have very easily, you know, he said, and he told him, you know, you call me Lord and Master, and yet I have washed your feet. Are we people as Christians who look to serve? Or are we looking to be served? You know, and you, a lot of people are, well, you know, I'm just a person in the church. You know, I don't, I don't expect to be served. Well, I'll tell you, in reality, in most churches, people sitting in the pews are looking to be served. You didn't come and visit me when I was in the hospital. You didn't come and visit me when I was sick. You didn't come and do whatever. And that should, that should be the job of the pastor and the teacher and the ones that care. But what is our purpose? Are we out there to actually serve people or to be served? You know, and this is something that Jesus was telling the disciples. We're here to serve. You're to go out and serve people and be able to convince them that they need God through that service. And Jesus said, I've come and I've served. Can you picture, you know, even from their perspective, this is their teacher. This is their rabbi. You know, let's say pastor in our terms. You know, he's their pastor. He's the one washing their feet. Let's take it to the next step. That's God Almighty washing their feet. Jesus came to this world to serve this world. For 34 years, he served. You know, if anybody deserved to come to this world and say, I want servants, and I want to be worshipped, and I want you guys to you know, take care of me from the very beginning. It would have been Jesus. He was born to Mary and Joseph. Joseph, a hard-working carpenter, laborer, let's say construction laborer, because it actually talks about masonry and everything else in his, in his title. Okay, he's a hard-working construction man. We know that they're poor because the offering they give when Jesus is named is two turtle doves. That was the poor person's gift. Is that what we would have done if we'd come as God? Let me go be born in a, in a stable or the poorest of the poor. Or would it be, I want to be born up there on the, the mansion on the hillside with, you know, with the servants and everybody knowing who I am. God humbled himself. He was obedient to Mary and Joseph as his parents. He grew up in obedience and submission. 
Then he was submitted to the Father. And even then he submitted to those that he's helping. The humbleness that God showed as, as the leader on earth is what he expects of us as Christians. That we will humble ourselves to serve one another. You know. And this is where most of us get into trouble. We start to expect people to respect us, to honor us, whatever it might be. You know, and sometimes humility comes with great pride. You know, look how humble I am. I'm not seeking any position. I'm just going to be humble. Well, that's got a lot of pride in behind that statement as well. Or we get people who are saying, well, I just got to have this title. You know, I've got to have this title. You know, let's look at a couple of people in the, as disciples that had that issue. In Matthew, chapter 20, starting at verse 20. Then came to him another of Zebedee's children, the mother of Zebedee's children, with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing from him. And he said, What will you? And she said, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on your right hand and the other on your left in the kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are they able to drink my cup that I shall drink and be baptized in the baptism which I am to be baptized with? And, and they said, We are able. And Jesus said, You will drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them that it is prepared for. And when the ten heard of it, heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brothers. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. John the youngest, definitely, and James not much past the youngest, had the audacity to get mom to ask for their promotion. <laughs> you know, probably because if mom asks, we can hide behind that. You know, it was mom that did it. She wanted what was best for us. We're told in another verse that it was them who wanted it. You know, we need to be so careful of desiring a position just because of the position. And, uh, you know, as Christians, they're, they're, we do. You know, when I was at another church and we were interviewing people to be deacons, one of the things we didn't want to hear a deacon a man said, well, I've always wanted to be a deacon. I've always wanted to be in charge of things. Okay, well, that's not what a deacon's all about. Are you a servant? If you're not a servant, you're not a deacon, and you don't need the title deacon to be a servant. And, you know, we want to be able to look at why are we here in church? We're part of a body. And so often we think about this. Paul described the church as a body. He says, some see, some hear, some speak, some have the hands, some have the feet. You know, and Paul goes even cra you know, crazier in, in Corinthians. He goes, what if the church was just one big eye? <laughs> You know, you can see all the problems, but nobody would ever do anything about it because all you can do is see. Well, what if you were the feet? Well, you could run to the problem, but you wouldn't know where to run to without the people seeing the problem. And in churches, so many times people will say, well, because I'm not the evangelist, I'm not going to do, I'm not important to the church. Because I'm not the Sunday school teacher, I'm not important to the church. Because I'm not the deacon, I'm not important to the church. We need every single person in the body 
to do what God has called them to do, whether they're recognized on this world or not. The good news is everything you do for God is seen. Whether it's by humans or not, everything you've done for God is seen, and God will reward it. Don't ever let Satan tell you you're not important to the church. Every single person is important to the church. Every, and I mean not just our church, but to the church as a whole. You know, we're, we're collecting for the Annie Armstrong mission, you know, mission offering. Our church is not going to be one of the biggest givers in the, in the, in the Southern Baptist associations. <laughs> You know, but you know, percentage-wise, we do a pretty good, pretty good gift. You know, when we think about compared to the number of people we have and the number and the gift we give. But you know, we're going to get credit for helping these missionaries do their job. God knows who's done what. And you know what's going to be even better? Think about this: when you get to heaven, there might be somebody that comes up from these countries you've never been into, and say, because you gave. On that day, on you know, 2019, that month that you gave, I'm here because you, the missionary, came and talked to me. You know, and think about how many people have an input in your life for, for you to come to Christ. You know, many people know lots and lots of people that have had input in their life. You know, just to come to Christ. They can pick different people who spoke to them. But how about in your growth for Christ? How many people have helped you grow more and more into your understanding of the, of the word? Yeah. It's amazing to me when I think about this. Sometimes I don't really think about it very much, and I'll be listening to somebody on the radio, especially the dead guys that are still on the radio. Uh, and all of a sudden, I'll hear them say something. I'm going, oh, is that where I learned, <laughs> learned this? You know, I heard it back in 1980 when, he, when I listened to this guy on the radio. How many people are out there that have spoken into your life and taught you things that you may not know anything about, may not even remember? But I'm going to tell you one thing. How many people have you ministered to that you don't know about? The people who watch you come to church on Sunday morning. You know, and as we say, you know, uh, say quite often, you know, a lot of times the world looks at us and they just think we're weird. And we're supposed to be weird. We're foreign to them. We're, this is not our home. We should not think the way the world does. We should not speak the way the world does. We should not act the way the world does. And the world should look at us and say, you guys are a bunch of weirdos. Praise God. But you know, they look at that weirdness and they go, there's something about that that's attractive. They see the light and they're, they're attracted. Now, they may never come to you and say, tell me about this God that you're worshiping. And they may. You know, you never know. But, you know, we want to be able to set an example, a light. And the greatest thing we can be about being lights is we still live in a place that's relatively dark at night <laughs> out here. You know, you see a light you know, on the mountain across the valley at night, and you go, I see that light. You never know how bright your light is shining in this dark world. And the good news for us, and it's bad news as well, the darker the world gets and the harder it is to be a light for God, the brighter our light shines, even if it's just a little match that we're holding up. Our light shines very brightly the darker the world gets. Don't get discouraged. Don't get thinking, I need to do more. 
You may need to be doing more, but don't get discouraged unless God puts it on your heart to do more. Don't get discouraged. Now, if he's telling you to do more, get out and do more. <laughs> but listen to God. Listen to God on what it is. You know, we're not to sit down and say, well, God, I'm retired. I'm not going to do anything for you. you know, my goal is never to retire from God. <laughs> I want to retire from the workforce. <laughs> but I don't ever want to retire from God's service. You know, as long as I'm here, I want him doing something through me. Will I be doing as much now when, when I'm 70, 80, 90, 102, whatever I live to be? <laughs> I don't know, but probably not. But I always want to be able to sit down and talk with people and minister to people and teach. Because that's what I'm called to do, be a teacher. And you can teach from a chair. You can teach from a table. It's not hard to teach. So I actually have an advantage. I'm not called to do a lot of physical stuff. Matter of fact, if you want somebody doing physical work at your house, I'm not the one to go put the boards together and stuff. It's not me. I can move stuff. But you want somebody to help teach and bring God into a situation, then that's what I'm called to do. And, I'm, and I can picture God letting me do that for a long time. What has God called you to do? Do it well. Serve God. Jesus, when he was washing the feet, was not looking for notoriety and saying, you know, look at me. He's saying, I have served you. Go out and serve one another. Our job is to serve one another. Jesus is our example. The apostles are our example. They went out and served other people. Not to be, hey, look, everybody look at me. Look, look what, how great a servant I am. These churches that do foot washing ministries, the guys that wash the feet you know, are really very proud of, you know, look, what, look what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm washing the people's feet. And they get very proud in it a lot of times. And they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Jesus was not saying, look at me, I'm, 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 the, I'm, I'm the Lord and now I'm serving. That was, but he was setting an example. We do not need to be looking at, God, what is my promotion? God's going to promote us to whatever he wants us to do. And the thing I've learned over the years, I've heard many people go, I never thought I would be, you know, put in whatever it is that, that, that is. I never thought I'd be a pastor. I never thought I'd be a deacon. I never thought I'd be a teacher. I never thought I'd be the whatever it might be in the church. If you were smiling it to you, you probably aren't the one that's supposed to be there in the first place. But God promotes us to those positions. Now, eventually you know what you're supposed to do. I've known that I'm supposed to be a pastor for a long time. But you know, when I was very young, it was the last thing I wanted to do was be a pastor. When I was supposed to go to Bible college, I applied to every college but the Bible college. <laughs> And I was accepted to every, Bible, every other co college other than the Bible college, and God finally got my attention, and I went to Bible college. I knew where I was supposed to go, and I knew where I didn't want to go. <laughs> and people go, well, you know, sometimes people will tell you, you know, how you know God's will? Well, they open doors. Well, if I'd have gone that route, I would not have gone to Bible college because I had all kinds of open doors. Now, I had kicked them open, <laughs> but I would have had all kinds of doors open. So be careful when you're trying to find God's will. Make sure you're listening to him to know his will. An open door might be a good indicator, but still listen. Don't just go through, because in my lifetime, I've gone through a whole lot of open doors that weren't the right, right place to go. And I think everybody in this room has probably done that. They've gone through doors that are like, oh, it was wide open. It was really inviting. I thought for sure it had to be from God. And when we, don't, when we go through those doors without prayer and without talking to God, 
We see a consequence that hurts a lot of times from it. But what is our goal? Our goal should be to serve God, number one, and to serve the church. Not for title, not for respect, not for accolades. Jesus said, if you get your accolade on earth, you've got your reward. And that doesn't mean you can't get acknowledged, you know, for doing God's word. You know, uh, Billy Graham got lots of accolades in his life from people, and I don't think it lessened it at all because he wasn't, as far as I understand, seeking those accolades. From the things I've seen, he was always a humble man that didn't even like his name up in lights. Uh, he hated it because it took so many people to do these crusades, and it would all be called the Billy Graham Crusade, and he knew that it took hundreds of people to to run that crusade and hated his name. And I was watching a, watching a documentary where he said, I, can't, I don't like my name being, being there, and I don't think he was just being humble for the, for the interviewer. I think he literally meant he did not like the acknowledgment of what was going on under his ministry. I had a pastor one time call me and another person up and, you know, to, to recognize what we were doing in the church. It's like, I don't, I felt very uncomfortable. I didn't want that kind of recognition. You know, what are we serving? Who are we serving? Why are we serving? Jesus gave the example of saying, you know, I'm the Lord and Master and I'm going to serve. You go out and serve. And that's where we should be. Not being James and John trying to go, make me number one and number two, which is literally what they asked for. I want to sit on the right and the left side of your throne and make, make us number one and two. And when the youngest one of them is asking that, that's going to irritate a lot of other guys, <laughs> especially somebody like Peter, who we believe is the oldest of the disciples. Now, here's two young upstarts saying, make us number one and two. And if you were to pick anybody, Peter would have been saying, you know, Peter probably would have pulled them aside and go, look, if anybody's going to be number one or two, it's going to be me. <laughs> I'm the oldest one amongst us. But, you know, it said they all became indignant at that because they all wanted it. These guys were just brave enough to start seeking it out loud. But we want to be careful. Stay humble with a servant's attitude. Seek God. Seek to serve him and serve others, because that's how we serve God. You know, we really cannot serve God without serving others. We see all through these different missionary books and autobiographies that I encourage people to read, people serving other people and God promoting them. You want promotion with God? You want promotion for people to see you and you really want it? Start serving. <laughs> Start serving with humility. And you'll be surprised where God takes you. It's an amazing thing to read some of these biographies of these missionaries and great people of God who start out as scoundrels, start out as miserable wrecks, and God teaches them, and they start serving. And then God promotes them and promotes them some more. You know, Moses was promoted. Josh, uh, Joshua was promoted. Joseph was promoted. You know, we look through the Bible at all the different men who just served God and started with an attitude of, I don't deserve this. King Saul started with the right attitude and, and went bad real quick. David started with the right attitude and ended with the right attitude and had a spot in the middle where he forgot who he was. And you know, for us, start humble and stay humble, even if God promotes you. And you know, and it's kind of funny in this church, you know, because I'm one of the youngest people we were talking about that earlier before church started. You know, I'm one of the younger ones in the church. But, you know, 
for each one of us in this church who may be older and thinking I'm, I'm too far along to be used, Moses was 80 years old when he started. Abraham was 80-something when he got, got called. You know, uh, God does not necessarily call young people to serve. Be aware that you might get a calling that you're not ready, <laughs> that you're not expecting. And God can use you no matter how old you are. He can use you no matter how young you are. Paul told Timothy, don't let people despise your youth because he started out as a young person. But he also looked at Paul being in his, definitely over 30 because he was a Pharisee, and he was an up-and-coming Pharisee, so he probably didn't even get started until about 40. You know, so be aware that God is not looking at our age to say, I'm going to start using you. He's looking at a heart that's willing to be used. And just be praying to God, God, what is it you want me to be able to do? Be ready. Who knows what God's going to use you to do? You know, we've seen the founders of many ministries don't get started until 50, 60, 70 years old. <laughs> when God has finally humbled them and taught them enough lessons, and all of a sudden, their ministry takes off. They flounder around for years learning. God is patient. It's an amazing thing that God is so patient with us. You know, we talk about this a lot in our studies. You know, we go through these books, and God keeps repeating himself over and over in the Bible. I teach five different books each week, and it seems like sometimes I look at it and say, didn't we just teach this uh, yesterday? And sure enough, yep, we taught it yesterday because God repeats himself so much in the Word. Why does he repeat himself? Well, he knows one thing about humans. We're hard-headed, and we have a proclivity to, to sin. So he keeps repeating himself. You know, uh, I can almost picture God saying what I heard from my parents. How many times do I have to tell you? Now, my brother was smart-alecky. He, he used to uh, talk back and say a few more times. But in reality, aren't we all that same way? God could be saying, how many times do I have to tell you? Just a few more times. So he tells us a few more times. He keeps repeating himself, and he's patient with us. And at some point, we should be learning to apply what he's teaching. And when we've learned and we apply what he's teaching, then we're ready to be used. Whether that means we're ready to be used at 14 years old, like some people, some great evangelists have been used, or 20, or 30, or 40, 50, 80, like Moses and, and Abraham finally learn their lessons enough to be able to be used by God. We grow with God, and it takes some, takes some of us a long time to learn because we're so hard-headed. And God has to keep beating us over the head with a two-by-four and with his words over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden we go, Oh, I know what you're talking about. And what we usually will hear people say is that it's the first time they've heard the message that, that they are finally realizing. And in reality, it may be the first time that their brain is actually heard. It's not the first time their ears have heard, but it is the first time that the soul and the spirit have actually heard in many cases. Oh, that's what you meant, God, when you said that. We need to be able to be able to do this. Learn to serve God. Learn to humble ourselves before him and be able to apply what he tells us. And it's never too late to apply what he, what he teaches. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for each person that's here. Lord,
teach us to hear quicker. Teach us to apply your word quicker. Teach us to be servants to all so that you get the glory in all that's done. Lord, if there's anybody that listens to this message that doesn't know you, we ask that you will touch their heart and they will recognize that they are a sinner in need of salvation, that they cannot get to heaven on their own, that you paid that price, and they will accept you as their Lord and Master. And they will contact the church to get started to follow you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.